What's up, everyone? This is episode number 21 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle. And if you've been following along on my Instagram this week, which is at Wax Museum Podcast, you know that it's been yet another busy week in the hobby. The The league may come to a stop, but the hobby does not. Um, I've been creating some RPA trackers. I'm pretty excited about that. Those are free tools. I, I hope that whether now or in the future that they help you out. I hope that they help you learn, even if you're never going to pick up these cards. But make sure you're following my Instagram. I have more updates to come very soon, which is at Wax Museum Podcast. You can also follow along on my Twitter, which is at Wax Museum PC. Um, I talked about this a little bit at the end of last week's episode, but I'm excited to have a guest with me here again today. You guys, if you've listened to the show, which I hope you have, you're familiar with him. I'm bringing Adam back. So Adam, how's it going? It's going good, man. Thanks for having me on again. So um, I thought this was appropriate, and and I'd like to say that I planned it out all perfectly, but I didn't. But um, Adam and I have had several two-parters in the past. We talked about Zion, obviously. Um, We also talked about PWCC, and a lot of you guys gave us your feedback, and we know that you listen to those episodes. Well, it's fitting then that this week in Hobby News, we had Zion signing with the Jordan brand. Um, For those of you that don't know, that's still kind of a division under Nike. Um, The reported deal here, it's a huge shoe deal. He's getting seven years, and it's $75 million. Um, There were rumblings that there were some bigger offers on the table. I think Darren Ravel mentioned that. But Zion's a big-time Jordan fan, so he wanted to stick with this company. Um, I think it's interesting because that kind of puts some of this um, you know, the shoe explosion thing to rest, hopefully. And they're saying that that probably leveraged his negotiations and gave him a little more money. Um, anyway, also PWCC, I'm sure you've seen some stuff about them. They've been in the New York times. They've been in the Washington post. Um, Adam and I, we just talked about, um, the interview that he had online, but then there's been some more stuff that comes out and even some accusations that, Maybe he was in on some of the the trimming in some capacity, which I don't know if, you know, that's not for us to decide anyway. But because of that, Brent has hired a lawyer, which is Jeff Lickman. Um, Jeff Lickman is a collector himself. Um, It's interesting. He's also represented Mexican drug lord El Chapo. Uh, What makes this really interesting, though, is that Jeff himself has been very critical of PWCC on the Net54 forums and also Blowout. Um, here's an example of something that he posted on the Blowout forums recently. He said, Grading companies are incompetent and negligent. PWCC intentionally commits fraud. So Adam, here we've got a lawyer for PWCC that has very recently, in fact in the past, I believe the past month, said that PWCC intentionally commits fraud. What do you think of that? I don't, I wonder, I, I was unaware of that till, till five seconds ago when you said it. I, I wonder why, um, I wonder how somebody can, can take that type of engagement having stated something like that in the past. That'll be interesting to see. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure what else to say about it. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, and in fact, some of the um, the people that have been involved in this whole investigation, at least on the, the blowout side, they quoted some of those posts because they wanted to make sure that they didn't disappear. Now, mm-hmm. I will say, though, that Lickman has, um, he has acknowledged that he's been very anti-PWCC in the past, and I want to read just a quick statement, a post from him, because he is posting on the Net54 board, so it's almost like you know, we are a part of this whole thing. Um, now, obviously, we're not involved in the legal proceedings, but we have the lawyer in dialogue with us on this message board, which is really, um, you know, I've never been in a situation like that before. So Jeff said, uh, yes, I'm representing Brent in this investigation. And yes, this is after I bashed him for years on Net54. Um, mm. Since I began representing Brent, he's been cooperating with the FBI. He's reached out to people who purchased altered cards from PWCC and refunded money and is providing all documentations from his dealings with any and all hobby dealers and consigners. 
Um, and then he's saying, I'm actually accomplishing more with Brett to assist the government in getting victims paid back and stop the fraud. This is why I decided to take the case after consulting with the FBI. So it's almost as if his approach is, yeah, I've been critical of this guy before, but I feel like we can turn this situation into a net positive for the hobby. I think that sometimes um, we we focus on things in really black and white way, in really black and white ways. So somebody can both be critical of an entity and can stand up for them and say, you know, I, I think I think they've done these things wrong, but I'm going to defend them on these grounds. And so um, I I would. Um, I would guess that's probably what's happening here. Yeah, and from what we can see, um, you know, they are refunding some of the people, like he said, so that is good. Um, now, are they going to be able to find anyone that Blowout hasn't found the altered cards for? You know, we don't know. So it looks like some of the Blowout posters are still having to do a lot of the work, but there is progress, and that's, you know, all we could ask for, even though we never got dialogue, we did get progress. Um, so that um, really segues into what we're talking about today. Adam has been, I won't say begging me because he's not begging, but Adam has been very anxious about doing a um, grading industry reform episode. And I have promised him we would do it, we would do it, we would do it. And well, the NBA was just too exciting at the time. Um, just too much stuff was happening. Well, now we finally reached the point to where it's the perfect timeline in the hobby. It's the perfect timeline in the league. So we're going to talk about grading today. Um, I'm going to preface this by saying I own graded cards. I own graded cards from BGS. I own graded cards from PSA. I don't think I own any SGC cards. That's kind of the um, the other party that people sometimes forget about, although there's a lot of vintage that's SGC. Um, Adam, do you want to, you've talked a little bit about your grading in the past. Um, you want to tell us just real quick, kind of your background with grading? Sure. Yeah. Um, like you, I, I own, I own graded cards from most, uh, from all three of those, um, entities. I probably own the most BGS cards. That's who I've used historically to get my cards graded. Um, I found them to be better at some things and, kind of to fit how I feel a grading company should work better than PSA. I like the subgrades. Um, I like uh, I like several things about the way that the way that they operate. Um, I've never liked it that P, that PSA charges more money for high dollar cards to have graded. That's never really sat very well with me. But anyway, I own I own cards from each um, as I've as I've bought cards in the past uh, to sell them, I've definitely considered uh, grading them to increase their value. I've had success with some and not with others. Um, and the good percentage of my cards that I own today that are the highest dollar are graded uh, mostly with with Beckett, but I have a bunch that are also graded by PSA. All right, and just to uh, catch some people up, I know I've, I've mentioned this on a past episode, um, but I just want to cover in case I have someone jumping in real quick, what is grading in general? Um, so cards um, basically are, are graded on a scale from 1 to 10, um, with 1 being poor and 10 being uh, gem mint. And the, obviously, you know, it's, this is very simple. There's a simple breakdown here, but the higher the number, the more valuable the card is. Um, and it's graded off of different factors um, like corners and edges and centering um, and surface. Those are going to be your main factors. And as Adam mentioned, um, BGS, which is Beckett Grading Services, they have um, those subgrades posted on the label of the card. And PSA does not. Um, but they both, I would say that, they, that PSA still uses those, that basic criteria. Is that your understanding as well? Yeah, I think there's some things that differ between the two that are largely understood about, uh, between collector between collectors. We maybe could could cover some of those today, but yeah, the only the only minor thing that I would uh, correct you on is that Beckett does now um, have a service that 
that makes it so that they don't show subgrades on a card, but they just give an overall grade to the card as PSA has, has always done. Okay, now um, could you then explain real quick why would somebody elect to go that route where they don't want to show the subgrades? That's a good question. I don't know. I I see those I see those holders, and I wonder, you know, why why they would want that. My guess is because it's a cheaper service. I don't think um, I don't think that there's ever a benefit to not show you know, the breakdown of why a card graded one way or the other. With PSA, you know, the first card I can ever remember getting graded was when I was working at the, the House of Cards in Salt Lake City. Um, we, the owner there would send in cards once every couple of months, and I bought a 1989 score Griffey rookie uh, baseball uh, card, and I sent it, I sent it in with, with the group, and we were expecting... You know, a chance at a 10, but definitely a 9. And the card came back an 8. And I looked at it, and we all looked at it, and we just said... And we all kind of came up with different ideas of what might be a flaw or what might not be a flaw. But at the end of the day, we had no idea why the card graded an 8. It's nice with Beckett to see those upgrades to say, okay, you graded the surface a 7.5. Okay, why is... You know, where, where is that coming from? And you can look the card over more carefully. You can still disagree with it in the end, but it helps you narrow down why the card was imperfect in their in their opinion. Okay, um, so let's talk. Um, kind of go back to the origins of grading because it has you know obviously cards have been around much longer than grading. Um, it's my understanding that grading really came about in the '90s. Um, mm-hmm. Would you say early? Was it the early '90s or it was it mid '90s maybe? So I would say I saw from from my perspective, and and I don't have you know a perfect memory of this, but I remember the first time I saw a card that had that was in a slab that had some sort of condition that was on it where the card couldn't come out of the slab was somewhere in the mid '90s. I remember I don't remember what what kind of what kind of grading company it was, what kind of company it was, or what company it was. Um, but then later in the '90s is when I started to see things that were cards that were graded by the companies that we're talking about today. I remember seeing them in the in the cases at that same card shop that I, that I worked at, but this is before the before I worked there. I remember Tim Duncan rookies and Vince Carter rookies. Those were the first cards that I remember seeing graded a ton of and that is really when and not not shockingly this is when eBay was was you know really really started to take off amongst collectors too. Um, that is that is when we started to see lots and lots of cards being graded and graded cards carried this incredible premium. People wanted a card just because it was graded. That's a very foreign thought now, but I'll I'll even tell you a story. I remember um, there was a what we called the bid board in my card shop where you where every Saturday at one o'clock all the cards that were up on the on the wall would end at auction and whoever had the highest bid would win. Well, there was a card of a guy that I thought his name was Paul Molitor, but you know him as Paul Molitor, a <laughs> uh, Hall of Fame baseball player. And, and the card was a 1981 or 1980 Donruss card, maybe 82, I don't know. I don't know my baseball very well. But it was graded a 9. It had a, little, a couple little letters at the end of the 9. I didn't care what those meant. I just knew that it was a 9. And it was affordable for me. It was like $11 or $12 or something. So I bought the card. And I looked at it afterwards and I was like, this card is so off-centered. Why did it get a nine? And then I realized that the little OC next to it was a qualifier. I learned what a qualifier meant and, and all that stuff. But I was then part of this, this group of people that had a graded card. I had a card that had been, you know, slabbed and you couldn't pull it out of that. And it was like kind of like being part of a club. Very few people that I knew had a graded card. And so in the beginning, it was really like this prestigious thing to have a card that was graded. That through the years changed, obviously, to become more of a commonplace thing. But really in the beginning, I, I can't imagine how much money they made there in the beginning because people were sending in everything. They were sending in $2 or $3 cards. I guess some people <laughs> still do that. But um, but I think it has changed pretty pretty significantly in the course of the last 20 years. Well, you mentioned the the eBay, kind of the e- the early eBay days. Um, mm-hmm. and, and the grading really started, I would say, maybe right before that because, uh, especially at card shows, it, it was a big deal because you'd have 
two people that were trying to figure out maybe a book value or an accurate value for a card, and they would disagree on the condition. And condition is so subjective, even though, you know, centering, yes, you can measure a card and you can, you know, break it down to the smallest increments of of an inch, but a lot of that is still subjective and they felt like they needed a third party to really help mediate that disagreement. And that's kind of where that third party grading came into play. And then obviously when eBay provided a larger market for that, well, that was a plus because you can't see the card in person. Now, granted, some of those early eBay images weren't all that great either, but uh, at least it was better than not seeing it at all. But you had it in that holder. Maybe you couldn't see the card very well, but if you could see that nine... Or if they told you, you know, this is a PSA 9, rest assured you felt like you were getting what you were paying for. Um, now, you're, you're exactly right. And, and the thing that I would just point out there is that, you know, maybe it started before the internet and, and selling on the internet took off. But I definitely think that the idea of selling cards not in person is what made what made grading into this this um, really essential part of our hobby. Most people who are transacting in cards today aren't doing it in person. Most people, there's there's more, I would guess most transactions in cards are happening um, through the mail. And to be able to have somebody who can say, this is what the condition of this card is and having it be the authority has become an incredibly important part of our hobby that, that many of us rely on. Right, and it and it means something. Um, mm-hmm. So, t- speaking of PSA, um, PSA kind of started this whole thing. At least as far as the big companies, they had a, a bit of a monopoly for a while. BGS came onto the scene, and they added the subgrades and the half grades, and that was a really big deal uh, because you know if your card is a is between a nine and a ten, PSA wasn't going to round up. You got a nine. Right? Yep. So yep. now if you've got Beckett here saying, well, we'll give half grades, well, you know, you would go with them if you think your card is a nine and a half or has a chance at a 10. Um, so that really, uh, that really changed the game as well. Now, um, all of these companies have come under scrutiny lately. A lot of it is because, um, well, there's a lot of corruption in this. People use the grading companies and they kind of put the onus on them to pass along altered cards or um, cards that are in question. Um, so in the kind of in the face of all this controversy, the CEO of Collector's Universe, which is PSA, um, his name is Joe Orlando, and he issued a statement this week. And it's interesting, you know, we want to hear from him. We want to hear what he has to say um, you know, how can you speak for your company? And, and um, they are a publicly traded company. So, you know, it is, it was uh, reasonable for him to come out and say something. So uh, this is kind of a long statement. So hang in there with me, Adam. Um, and I, I'm going to get you some of your input after this, but I want to read most of his statement just so we can get it in context, if that's okay. All right. So, um, He said, like most other industries, ours contains a fraction of people who choose to do nothing more than complain about how third-party systems are imperfect instead of offering feasible or logical ways of making it better. Their expectation of human-based opinion services is simply unattainable. There are realities and limitations to what any third-party service can do. If it were up to them, there would be no umpires in baseball either because these men don't get every ball and strike call correct. Card and coin graders, like umpires, must make decisions repeatedly in a relatively short period of time. They do the best job they can, but like all people, they are not perfect. They can only judge what they see in front of them and interpret what their eyes are observing. Grading is not conducted in a science lab. It is simply humans looking at collectibles. The train left the station a long time ago. You can choose to get on board and take the ride, which can occasionally get bumpy along the way, or get left behind with delusions that somehow returning to the Wild West of the 1980s is better than what collectors have today. If you prefer to collect raw cards, that's okay. There are many ways to enjoy our wonderful hobby. In the meantime, the beat goes on. 
After 20 years at the company and a lifetime in this hobby, there are a few things I know. There will always be challenges that our hobby will have to face, and unfortunately, there will also be those who choose to spread fear and ignorance. For those of us who love the hobby, there will always be opportunities to improve it by engaging in civil discourse. More importantly, third-party authentication and grading is here to stay. It makes the hobby better, even though no system will ever be perfect. Never get cheated, Joe Orlando. Um, and I want to point out the never get cheated. That's how he closes a lot of his columns for their publications, although it kind of seems um, out of place here. But um, yeah. Yeah. Adam, what do you think about that? Well, I think that um, I think that he makes a lot of really good points, and the the and 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 it's it's a lot to take in and to address all in one go. But I'll 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 share a few thoughts that I had while while you were writing or while you were reading the uh, reading that comment. Um, the first one is is his idea at the end about the Wild West um, or embracing um, you know what we have today. He's he is exactly right about that. We have um, we have a system in place that has largely been successful for the course of the last twenty years as far as grading a card's condition and its authenticity, and that has allowed us uh, to create really a marketplace that um, that has been really been a wonderful part to be a part of, and the the cost of getting cards graded. Um, historically, especially with Beckett, not, not as much with PSA, but especially with Beckett, is, is minor enough where you can send your cards in and, and, and get that opinion. And so, you know, the, the idea that we could go back to the Wild West really opens things up for all sorts of shenanigans. Um, if, if you just imagine what it would be like if suddenly we didn't have graded cards, you know, think about some of the, the most key cards that are that are out there that people collect think about what makes them great and then try to you know try to imagine how how that would be different without graded cards i personally think it would be really significantly different um and i wouldn't i don't want to go back to that i think i think he's right um he does he does come across as as um, ultra confident in his brand in this moment and i'd like to hear him be a little bit more humble um I, his his part in the beginning is is I don't want to call it brash, but he says, you know, he says something about how um, you know there's this minor group of people that just likes to complain. There are those people. Uh, we've we've right. seen a lot of those people, uh, and um, we've encountered those people in the message boards. But there's a lot of people with pretty valid concerns, and 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 there's a lot right now that they have to be concerned. About. And, uh, and I would like to have heard a little bit more humility in, in how, in how that, that comment reads. I would have liked to have heard a, a comment that says something along the lines of, listen, we recognize that there's some mistakes out there that we've made. We're trying to figure out ways that we can improve this, and we're trying to figure out ways that we can make the hobby a safer place. Um, this is where PWCC in their previous comments, I think, got it right. Um, you know, they, they came out and they said, we need to hold those people accountable. And that, that's what needs to happen here. The people who have done the ripping off, the people who have done the trimming and the bad things, those people are the ones that need to be held accountable. And in so much that P, the PSA can make that happen, they need to. Um, for, for, because that's what they're selling. You know, they were selling, or they, they have been selling for, for 30 years or 25 years or whatever it is, that they can authenticate and, and grade the condition of your card. And, you know, they, I know they've got guarantees in place and whatever, whatever, they can stand behind them, but I don't want to deal with that stuff. I just want to know that this card that I'm looking at is real, that it's the condition that you say it is, and it hasn't been tampered with in any way. And right now, there's more doubt about that than there's ever been. And so uh, I, do I think they can fix it? I do, but I want them to I want them to meet it head on and uh, and I want them to make some real changes and I'm I'm glad we can talk about some of those changes they should make today. Yeah, I I think um, there's definitely a need for this and so like you you pointed out with the wild wild west thing like yes I think we do need that third party um, and in fact I don't think that a lot of people have really stopped grading cards. I know there have been some people that have been very vocal about how they've stopped grading cards, and I believe them. 
But I look at all these PSA subs on Facebook and Blowout and all these other places. I don't think people have really slowed down all that much. Or at least the percentage of people that have is is very um, small in terms of the entire grading world. Um, so, and he, he also mentions the, you know, balls and strikes with the umpires. And one thing about that, though, is that they're very, Major League Baseball's already looking at technology that can correct that. Um, and that's kind of, and we'll talk about that today, but that's where I'd like to see PSA go is, you know, how can we utilize that technology to make that better? Um, and then finally, like you said, I would have liked to have seen him talk a little bit more about, or be a little more open and say, yeah, you know, there's there's a lot going, a lot of stuff that has been improper that's happened lately, or however he yeah. wants to f- phrase that. Um, and then also, and I feel like this was similar, and I was very critical of Brent about this. They want to talk about the need for discourse and, and reasonable dialogue, but they're not creating venues for that. I don't feel like they are, at least. Um, or maybe right. they will, um, they like, well, with Brent, like he would go on to a show, but if that show is not asking the questions that we have, then that's not really that dialogue yet. You're talking, but you're not having the conversations that we need to have. And the same thing goes here for Joe. Joe, we're having reasonable dialogue. Can I jump in on that real quick? Yeah, go ahead. I think, so this is, okay, so this is one good thing that you're doing is you're providing a place where you can facilitate some of that conversation via podcast. And and you're, you know, you're you're good at, um, at creating creating that venue, and you're right. I, they're they're not going to openly go out there and try to try to create that probably because it's more headache than it's worth. But it's kind of like in the business world when you conclude your email with "Let me know if you have any questions." You you say that because you want to be and I I don't want to you know I don't I don't know Joe, Joe Orlando. I don't I don't want to say that this is a, a certainty, but but I would if I was trying to make something look really smooth and I wanted it to all be okay, I would appear very open and I would want people to know that we were you know very open to hear their their concerns and their complaints just so they feel understood people want to feel understood collectors want to feel understood and so I think he he adds that sort of thing but you're right in the case of 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 most of these large entities the last thing that they actually want to do is get into the public sphere and say let's really talk about these things and the reason they don't want to talk about them is because people have spent tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars on their products and the last thing that they want to do is have an increase of liability in, in those things. So um, it really is a sticky, tricky uh, situation that they find themselves in. And I can appreciate can appreciate where they're coming from. But I guess it's better that they seem open than, than, than that they seem like they're not listening to anything. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe beggars can't be choosers. Yeah, well, we'll do the same thing that we did with Brent where um, we will open the door as much as we can for dialogue and we will try to reasonably give our side and then we'll see um, if he chooses to actually hold up his end um, which which um, well we'll see I mean if Joe doesn't have to lawyer up then maybe he'll be a little more uh, able to speak than Brent is right now but um, so let's let's then let's just examine this whole situation. So let's try and run through. Um, let's start at looking at you know what are the problems, what are a lot of the complaints that people have, and then you and I will throw around some solutions. And that's not to say that you know we might throw out some bad ideas today, but we just want to talk through it and we want people to hear us talking through it. Um, so let's start off with what is wrong or what people perceive to be wrong. Um, Adam, can you kind of give your thoughts? on what is wrong right now or what needs fixing, not necessarily the solution, just what needs fixing within the grading system or the grading process. There are a lot of things that um, other collectors would say when given the opportunity to, to speak on that question. But I think clearly the, the biggest thing that we've seen over the course of the last year has been um, the number of cards that have been proven to be trimmed that we are seeing come across with nines and tens on them uh, in PSA and Beckett cases. Um, that is easily the uh, the most significant issue. I can get into why I think that's happened, but uh, there's that. You know, then then way down the list, there's things like 
patch switching. Um, there have been a number of cards that are uh, counterfeit that have been graded, but again, I think that's a more minor issue when compared with the the, the grading or the the trimming issues that we've seen. Okay, um, yeah. So, and we talked about some of the the cards. You know, some of them they've seen multiple times. Some of them, the the vintage ones are tough. I, I'm I'm going to say here, I don't expect them to catch, even though they're professionals, I don't expect them to catch every single card. In fact, a lot of the the blowout people that are finding these cards, they have leads because they know batches of known trimmers. So they kind yeah. of have the the indicators that show them where these cards without serial numbers are at. So, right. um, you know, maybe the, the grading companies can flag these certain people, but beyond that, I don't expect them to get every single card correct, especially cards that, you know, maybe there were some that were cut at different dimensions and at different sizes, and we'll get into that later. So I'm not, you know, I understand there's going to be some margin for error. So I also want to talk today about, you know, how are they going to handle mistakes? Um, Okay, so let's take um, what do you perceive to be the biggest problem that we could start chatting about a solution on? So, yeah, when we, when we talk about trimming, the thing that, that comes to my mind immediately is that um, is the, the time that I sent in a card to Beckett that came back as trimmed. I've only ever sent in one card that came back as altered, and that was a, an 86 Fleer Jordan card that I sent in probably probably around 2013 or 2012. I could look it up real quick uh, in my email, but let's just go, go with that. I sent in two of them at the same time. One of them came back a BGS 9, and the other one came back in an altered uh, slap. And so what Beckett does, I don't know if PSA does this, but it came back with, a, with an altered. I think PSA does do this. It came back in an altered slap. And, uh, I think I think and, they have one that's just an A for altered, yeah, uh, but I'd I have to, I'll have to double check that. But I think they do. That's right. So what's interesting is when they when they send something like that back to you, they'll also send at least they did for me this time. They send like this little sticky uh, white uh, thing that says st- sticky white post-it note that has like some pre-printed stuff on it that shows like the front of a card and the back of a card and the grader very quickly in a matter of a couple of seconds basically circles an area of the card and indicates what's wrong with it and so he circled and this is where I'm not sure if, if I'm right but one or two edges on this 86 Jordan that that he said was trimmed and I just couldn't believe that I would have missed something like that it's a set that I feel like I know about as well as, as anybody else Except for there really are some real experts out there on it uh, now. I realize that I probably don't know as much as, as, as other people do, do on it. But anyway, I, I looked at that and I was like, man, I can't believe this. So the guy who I used to send it in, which is a friend of mine that I, I knew from the card shop uh, named Les. Les uh, had a, had a um, loop, a jeweler's loop, a, a big, basically like a giant magnifying glass with, with a light on it that we looked at it under. And when we did that... It was amazing to me because I could see that the edges that they had circled were were of a different cut. They were clearly cut by a different blade than cut the other two edges. They left sort of like a a different pattern, for lack of a, of a different of, of, a, of a better word, of the edge. Like the edge itself has a pattern. If you look directly at the side of the card, you can see how it was cut and that it was cut differently. Well. Anyway, I, I digress. The, the, thing, the thing that I wanted to tell you about this that was interesting is on that little white post-it note is a comment. And the comment said something like, does not meet minimum size requirement. And what's interesting about that is this. If PSA and BGS have historically had a size that a card has to meet, and if a if a person who is who who is um, somebody who's willing to sort of sell their integrity for um, an, an increase of value or an increase in um, yeah an increase in value of a card knew that minimum size, if they were able to take that card and trim a little bit off the side 
and leave that card be to be the exact same size or larger of what the minimum size requirement is, then they would have the chance to make a significant amount of money. And I think that's what's happened. I think the trimmers have, have realized or have learned one way or the other what size they need to make sure a given card has to be to get through the graders. And if they're able to take off a hundredth or whatever the, the, the number is of an inch in the process and make a card go from an 8.5 to a 9 or from an 8 to a 9.5 or whatever it is, um, I think they've been, they've been able to do that and in so doing, make a ton of money. And so that's the first thing that we need to do is, 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 is solve this idea that, that there shouldn't just be a minimum size requirement. What matters is if the card is the same as it came out of, of the, the pack, right? I don't care how big the card is. I don't care if it fits your standard as far as I think the card needs to be this size or whatever. At this point, they've proven that they can't do that accurately. What I care about is to know if the card is the same size as other cards that came out of, of the same product um, and how they measure up compared, compared to those other ones. And I think that they can implement some very simple uh, cost-effective measures that allow them to do that and that give us more, um, more confidence in the cards that they've graded. And, and, and I think that's what we're here to talk about today is some of those things that, that we feel like they should do or we think that they, they might want to consider to give us that, that increase in confidence. Okay, so let's talk about sizing then, um, which is tricky because you've got thick cards, you've got thin cards, you've got um, sets like 2009 Exquisite, which are cut horribly. Um, in fact, the, the first time I had a 2009 Exquisite card, I was scared to death that it was trimmed. And I looked at it and I looked at it and I looked at it, but then somebody told me, well, no, these are historically, you know, miscut. So is it a matter of them creating a record of those types of sets and then creating a standard size for those sets? Or how do, how do they start that process? How do you think they could? Okay. So you're asking a good question. I'm going to answer it by maybe talking about uh, several things at the same time that I think need to be done because it's it's a more holistic approach to it, a more a more significant change, um, maybe maybe okay. even than create, creating a database. But this isn't, like I think it's just a change in, um, it's a change in how we how we need to, to look at things and, and, and the change still leaves the graders as a very important part of this process, just as important as ever, but, um, but I, I don't want to. I don't want to belabor it anymore. I just kind of want to talk about the things that, that I think are important. So here's yeah, what I want. Go ahead. Here's what here's what here's what I want the graders to do. The first thing that I want them to do is I want them to provide measurements of the card. And when I say measurements, I'm talking about something that's something that's three dimensional in in terms of in terms of how large the card is. Um, and that is going back to what you're talking about using technology. Uh, that should be really simple. I realize that a card's not always um, the same dimensions, even from one side of the card to the other. That is, that a, that a card isn't necessarily even a complete, a, a, a perfect rectangle, right? Like there is a chance mm -hmm. that a card could be could be off a little bit, and that's okay right. because because I, what I want to know is is just the very best uh, sort of. Uh, digital uh, dimensions of the card that they can provide and that includes the weight of the card. I am not somebody who's familiar with with weighing things in really small measurements, but I have to believe that that there's got to be a way to put a card on a scale and get something some weight to the hundredth of a gram or something like that 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 is comparable across cards. You know, I want to know what the last 100 Michael Jordan rookie cards weighed. I want to know what their exact dimensions were to the thousandth of, of an inch. You know, I want to know what the total surface area of the card is. And all of those things need to be easily providable from something that is a technology thing. We can't expect humans to put something up to a, to a ruler and, and get something to the thousandth of an inch because 
I can't see those differences. You can't. I don't. You you need a you know you, you need a microscope or, or something. So so that's the first step. Do you want to do you want to add something there before I go on to the other steps, or do you want me to keep going? No, go ahead and keep going. So the next thing that I want provided is I want them to um, make it clear that they're that they're looking at the edges for um, consistency of 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 the cut, right? The, the ones that have killed me, the ones that, that, and I've seen these mostly with PSA, the cards that clearly have edges that are not the way that they should look. They're, they're unnaturally cut nice. They're not the way that the, the cards were cut in the product. So if I can see that with the naked eye, there's just no way that they shouldn't be able to see that with a loop. And that is something that should be described in the grading of the card. Now, this is an increase in cost to the to the graders, right? To to actually mm-hmm. describe the card. But what what I should be able to do is I should be able to look at the scan the card either with its barcode or with you know typing in its number on onto the to the PSA um, website, and I should not only see the grade of the card, but I should see when the card was graded. It baffles me that PSA still doesn't offer that. I'm completely floored that they don't allow me to see what date that their cards were graded. And maybe I'm, maybe I'm mistaken on that. Maybe there's some way to know. But B, uh, BGS does provide it and PSA should. I should be able to see that. But I should also be able to see a couple of sentences written by somebody who's intelligent, who understands what the edges should look like. And the, the, the comment should, see, should say something like, this edge was consistent with other cards that we've that we've seen graded. We can see that the edge pattern is uh, looks looks normal, and um, you know we believe that this is that this is uh, in line with 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 how the edge should look. Um, a basic paragraph on on each and I, and I'm now I'm, I'm not talking about every card to be clear. I, I you you there's no way we're going to get this sort of service for a fifteen dollar card that's being graded. But right now I think we're talking about. You know this, the types of cards that you've been looking up in your trackers, right? Like Steph Curry right. RPAs and and Kevin Durant RPAs, like big big dollar cards that uh, require uh, more understanding should not just be thrown in a case the same way that, that any other card is uh, with with a grade on it. I want to I want to hear more about what this grader actually saw. That was what was kind of cool about getting that little white that little white post-it note that I was telling you about is you they're actually able to communicate something to you outside of the number. I want more of that. You can't provide that directly on the card, but who cares? Everybody has a cell phone with them that can that can look up, you know, the details of the card when it was graded. I want to read what those what those graders wrote. And frankly, if I'm spending $100 on getting a card graded and you can't provide me with a paragraph or two, like what is wrong with your business model at that point? You know, you need to be able to you need to be able to show me something that that is of, that is of substance that is helpful in understanding what you were what you were looking at. And if they can't provide that, then I I wonder what they're doing with all their money. You know, like how is it how how would that not be feasible? So those are those are a few of the things that 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 I that I think just right off the top. I've got a few more things, but. Again, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm. I just keep talking. So, what kind of thoughts or no? You're fine about that. Um, I would say I think the demand. You know, you mentioned the cost, and I know everyone wants cheap grading, but um, we're not talking about. You know, this is not you sending in ten Marvin Bagley Prism cards. You know, this is you sending in your, like we talked about the RPAs, your premium cards, and I think um, because the the service is there. And it's, you know, you're not doing this to protect your card. You're doing this to what, you know, you're bumping a card to bump the value of the card. So it goes along with that whole theory that you got to spend money to make money. And I think the demand is there. And I think people would be willing to pay more for this product. Um, and it would be worth PSA's time to try and do this. Um, now we just have to be careful because, um, you know, the technology has to be affordable at the same time, which is tough. Um, they have to be cost effective. And, um, you know, we can only throw these ideas out. We don't know what the programming would cost. We don't know what the technology would cost. 
we think it would be cost effective. This is where we need to hear PSA say, well, we think we could do it for X amount of dollars or no, this isn't possible. You know, that way we can have this dialogue and weed out some of these solutions and at least come to a middle ground. Um, we just want to see progress. And I think you're with me on that, Adam. Um, we want to see progress. Um, now, I've seen, and, and I don't know what other ideas you have to throw out there, so I don't want to um, kind of step on what you're going to say. Um, what do you think of invisible ink? Have you heard that theory before? I haven't. I'd love, I'd love to hear that. I do, like I said, I do have some more thoughts, but, but let's hear about, I want to hear about your invisible ink thing. I haven't heard okay, so, um, and this is something that I've read from somebody else. Um, there was... Uh, well, I'll throw out a couple of ideas that I, I pulled up today. So somebody said um, they want to see laser scanning for each card to determine the centering, the surface defects, the corners, the edges, um, and they want to record unique fingerprints for each card, um, and they want to stamp each card with a small invisible ink stamp, um, which would show under a black light. And yeah. the idea then is that if the case is cracked, um, the ink would turn, would change under a black light. And then, um, so if a grader receives that card and they see that that card has already been cracked out and it's being resubmitted, then they should probably grade that card um, a little more, with a little more caution. Um, and I know the people that people who bump are not going to be probably not going to be happy about that. I think that's reasonable, though. I didn't come up with that. I read that from somewhere else. But I don't know the, the cost of that technology. Um, I know PSA has already got their their seal. And, you know, there's a few things that they've tried to implement along that line. So maybe that seems in line with what we could get in the future. What do you think of that? So I actually don't like that idea because I don't want them to, to do anything to the card, um, mostly because a lot of stuff like that, you can't really know long term how it affects it, but also because it it has in a way actually like altered the substance of the card, even if it's invisible and you can't see it, it's still something that's there that's noticeable. So. Um, I'd have to think about it more, uh, you know, even if, if you said, well, there's no way you could see it and it's only affected if it does this or that. I still just don't love the idea of them changing uh, changing the cardboard in any, in any way. What I want right. them to do is I want them to provide provide a way for the card to be protected, you know, in case anything anything happens, uh, you know, if you, if, you, if you had some sort of natural disaster or whatever and there's a flood. I love the idea that a card could be protected from water damage or things like that but i don't i don't want right. them to actually change the character of the card in uh in any way i just think you well know, when, and, when, and what happens when your when your label you know slips out <laughs> and you have to crack the card you know i i mean i guess they would know that if if they saw the cracked slab and the label but still you know there are some scenarios where you do have to crack a card out and it's not necessarily to change much of anything yeah so let, let me let me um if, if it's okay let me walk you through exactly what i think um, I, I know I've done, I've done a lot of it but let me give you i wrote no, this that's fine in go a, ahead in a, in a blowout post um in january of this year actually in response to um, into something that, that you wrote on the 1997 Michael Jordan PMG Green 1 of 10 up on eBay thread. I wrote seven points that I think are important. And, I, and as, I've come, as I've thought more, more and more about these, I feel m more confident about some of them and less about others. So I'll just I'll go through it because I think it's a, a good organized way to do it. So the first okay. thing is what I already mentioned, the dimensional measurements um, provided via, via looking it up online. And, and, and just, to, just to highlight that real quick, if you can imagine that, say, 10 Steph Curry RPAs had all been graded via, via um, BGS, and all 10 of them had measurements associated with them, and then one of them is smaller than the other nine, or you know, six of them are larger than the other four, any of that data is very valuable right it, it's uh it's interesting it's helpful now the weights will be different because the patches are going to be different weights but to see those right. sizes on the cards could be incredibly valuable and if like it just just imagine that 
this is a business opportunity for PSA and Beckett. They should see it that way. Imagine if you were in the market to buy a $40,000 card and there were 10 out there that were available that you had the opportunity to buy. And one of them that, that you could buy had measurements that um, that were that you could compare against other ones that had that, that were also that had also been graded. And also electronically, you could see a couple of paragraphs that a grader had had written specifically about this card not boilerplate stuff not like you know something that they post the same thing every time for each card but but where the the grader says you know i i evaluated the edges by putting this under the loop and the edges look consistent with how the the card is supposed to look and with how you know other cards have looked before i can see the weight is similar i believe that this is a card that hasn't been altered in any way oh and they could also include something like and you know that this is important. Um, this patch it appears consistent with other other patches that, that we've seen of this of this particular card. And I did a cursory look online of the history of this specific card and couldn't find one with a different patch that was earlier. You know that was that that was earlier posted uh, in the in the history of the internet. To find something that was written like that electronically on the background of the card would be incredibly reassuring and very valuable. And frankly, as a business person, I would say to PSA or to Beckett, there's your, there's your ticket. There's your golden ticket. Like go charge $200 a card to grade <laughs> it. Like, and include that sort of data. And again, if you can't figure out a way to make that cost effective, like you're doing something wrong. You know, I've heard that they right. they've said that, they, that, that, that it's like a minute, um, you know, a minute a card that, that they take to, to, to grade, like you've got to be able to make it profitable for yourself to have a $200 a card service. So anyway, I've only made it through number one. I know I'm, I know I get on right. my rents sometimes. Well, yeah. One, one. one minute of, one minute of time and, um, a, what, a 50 cent plastic slab, right? And we're, yes. we're, you know, they're paying so much money for this. And not only that, um, you mentioned cost effective, and consistency of patches i've done that work for them on some of these cards so and and by all means i'm offering that free to collectors to psa to bgs i even joked in my last episode maybe bgs should look at it more carefully Um, so that stuff is is out there and and we're working towards that um because we want to see them kind of come towards us with solutions too Um, so i like where you're headed with this let's hear number two Okay, so number two has to do with number one. That is that I wanted the cars to be weighed. I want the very finest measurement of weight. And again, this should be provided online. I don't expect it to be on the slab. The, the little label on the slab is not big enough to have everything we want on it. It's just, this should all be easily right. providable in a digital way. Number three And you is, don't want that slab crowded. You don't want too much information no. on there or, or it gets drowned out. The important stuff gets drowned out. Right. Uh, number three is, and I don't know if this is feasible, but this is this is to combat the fakes that we see out there, the full-on like cards that have been manufactured. I'd love it if there's a way to 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 determine the ink and uh, the, the age of the ink or the age of the cardboard. Um, Sometimes, you know, I don't I don't know. I, I'm not an expert on this. I don't know if that's possible, but I do think that it would be definitely possible to at least have. A blurb in the the couple of paragraphs that I want them to provide on each card that indicates, you know, we looked at the we looked at how this, you know, the, the brightness of this or the color of that, and and we're able to determine, you know, the 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 age by it. Maybe that's not possible, but I'd like for them to do it. I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep going through these pretty quick. Number four, yeah, I want the overall grade on the flip. Still, I still want to see what 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 they're grading the card as, uh, what condition. Number five, I want the date that the, that the card was uh, graded. I actually want that on the flip because I think that's easy. Um, I think that the, the you know PSA has this app where a lot of people don't know this, but you can actually scan with your phone um, a PSA flip and it will show you what card it was or what card it is. And, and it actually breaks down to you the last time that the card was sold publicly and all this other cool information that, that they provide just by scanning it. That, that should be on the flip as well, as well as like a, a serial number that, that you can look up online and find all this data that we're, that we're talking about. Um, number and six. That's, that's an incentive for them to 
get their app out there and get put the advertising on the app and get people using it, right? I mean, it seems like we could yep. make this to where it benefits them as well. Go ahead. Keep going. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, if either one of these companies did this, they take a larger, a larger market share. And the reason that they don't is because they've already had people spend millions and millions of dollars on these cards and it, it's uh, – it opens it op- again. It opens them up to liability. Um, if if then something's brought, if they, if somebody tries to regrade something, and before it was graded a ten, and now it's understood that hey, we're still going to call this a ten because we called it a ten before, but you asked for us to remeasure it, and it, it's actually a lot smaller than it should be. You know, maybe they still put a ten on the card, but then people can look up the size. It opens them up to liability. So anyway, number six. Um, I said I want three to four sentences provided online when the card is scanned that tell me some narrative that the grader feels is valuable information about the card. I want to hear what the grader sees in the card and uh, explain exactly why the card is what it is, like why the card got an 8.5 on edges. Again, this is a lot of increase in detail, but if you're paying a ton more money, you should get, you know, you should get a real explanation. Um, And I, I think the bottom line to this is I want to hear what the person, the expert, who is holding the card in their hands actually thinks about the card. Um, okay. And then number seven is, and this is this one's probably the, the biggest pipe dream of, of, of the seven is I'd like to see who's actually owned the card. I'd like to know, you know, where it has where it's been in its lineage, who owned it first, who graded it, and then who's owned it since. I think it'd be really cool to know kind of the the history of like where a card has gone from from A to Z. But I think if, if they did if they did all those things um, what you would have is you would have a lot better understanding of, of what each card is, of what the grader actually thinks about it. Again, I understand that they may feel that this opens them up to liability, but as somebody who's spending literally tens of thousands of dollars on their on things that they're authenticating, like I, I feel like I have a right to sort of say, you know what, you guys aren't doing as good a job as you could be as you could be doing. And here's some minor things. Like, you're charging hundreds of dollars to grade a card and you can't do some of these very basic things? And you do them inconsistently when you do them? Like, no, this these are basic things that they should do to provide us the assurance that we have come to expect or believe that we should be receiving. Right, and I think if, I think if we see movement in that direction... And then maybe they stumble a little bit along the way. Like you said, it opens them up for vulnerability. I think collectors can deal with that. I think yep. we can say, all right, these are the growing... Well, hopefully, you know, I want to speak for everybody here. I, I want to say, you know, hopefully we can say, yeah, these are the growing pains of reforming the grading process. As long as everyone's humble about it and there's dialogue, we can work through it. And I, you know... Who knows? I think it could work. Let me add, um, let me add to that real quick. Let me add to that ahead. real quick because I, I think you're spot on. I concluded this post that I wrote to you six months ago with, I said, then after all that, once a card that is graded with this service is found to have had errors in the grading process, this should be very rare, the item should be flagged electronically with that information. The grading company should request the owner of the card to return it for re-slabbing. If that request is ignored or denied, the company should disclose the facts of the card online via the site. And where this really becomes really cool is, you know, imagine you're at a card show. You look down at a card that you want to buy. You see that it's graded with this high-end service. And you say, I'm going to then, because I'm I'm used to doing this, I see that it's graded with a high-end service. I'm going to look it up electronically. You look it up electronically and you learn all these things, all these things that we've already talked about. And in addition to that, I want to know who the person was who graded it, the employee at, at the, the grading company, the date, the, the size, the you know all the measurables, all that stuff, the, the paragraphs, the couple of paragraphs that they've written. After all of that, if they find exactly what you said, Kyle, if they find that they've made a mistake, I want them to, to own it electronically. It needs to be said electronically. And so it says, you know, this is what we felt about it. But, but you know, we, we had an image that was presented to us that we didn't find in our cursory look through of, 
um, you know, patches. And we can see now that this is actually a switched out patch, for example. Um, and, and owner should realize that this is a switched out patch. If I read that on the card, it's great because it was my responsibility when I bought the card because I knew about the service. I knew what it entailed. It was my responsibility to, to look it up and to, to, to find that out. Then after all that, if they've made those mistakes, then they should let their you know insurance kind of come into play. But, but before they do all that, they're leaving themselves open to having just a ton of cards be altered, which is because of you know the standards that they set forth, those minimum size requirements that we talked about earlier. That's where they find themselves today. If they did these things, they wouldn't have those issues, right? It would be, become a lot right. clearer to us what has been altered and what hasn't. All right. Well, um, I will say I think that um, you know it's it's hard for us to piece together a real linear like here's what you need to do because it, the solution isn't like that, and and we don't have all of the answers. But I I hope that at least what we presented today will open the door for conversations on maybe on message boards, on social media, at the national, um, between you know people in person. I hope we have at least helped to for maybe not initiate the conversation but to further it along um i hope you know this can reach some of the the people at the top where maybe it would it would matter to them um and and you know we'll see what can happen from that adam i appreciate you giving your input here and and kind of giving some of your thoughts before we close today i want to give you a chance to plug your Instagram and anything else. And, and I know you, I want you to plug your top 100 countdown, especially cause I've been really enjoying that. Yeah. I, I uh, did my top 100 on blowout last year. I decided to do it um, on Instagram this year. And it's at the real 27 guy. I'm trying to post a card a day. I put my cards in order from my hundredth favorite to my, my, my very favorite. And I'm just counting them down today. I presented my 56th uh, best card, which is a, um, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, uh, Julius Irving, 1980 tops, which has been graded at PSA DNA six. Um, and, uh, like I said, it's an autographed rookie card of those two hall of famers with one of the other greatest players of all time in between them, just really an iconic card. But, um, I'm going to keep doing that for the next couple of months. I try to do that during the off season just for some entertainment and, and I'm providing both, uh, the written, the written, uh, explanation of why the, why the card is in the top 100 and, and why it's important to my collection, as well as, uh, making a video of it and kind of showing some of the details of the card that make it cool. Unfortunately, Instagram only allows you a minute per post. And so they're kind of short, but, um, hopefully it provides you all some entertainment and, uh, and, uh, is a value to somebody out there. All right. So one more thing. Um, as some of, I know, you know, Adam, and some of my listeners know as well, um, we are getting very close to the national and this will be my first national. It's something I've read about for years. I've decided now, you know, it's, it's time I finally get there. Um, my wife was on board with it. She started looking at hotels and stuff before I did. So I'm going to make this thing happen this year. I'm going to the national. Um, Adam, if you had to give me three quick suggestions, just bullet point suggestions. What would you say I need to do going to Chicago next week? I'd say number one, focus more on the people than on the cards. Um, the, the thing that I regret about my uh, time at the national last year was being focused on trying to get through every table and every card. You're not going to, there's too many, but I really like, there are a couple people who I met and I'm thinking they're, it's, they're, they're rushing back in my mind right now. There are people who I wish I would have taken more time with and some that I took a lot of time with, you know, we went out and had, had dinner, uh, one night, a, a group of us, and I won't ever forget that. It was a lot of fun. Um, the second thing that I'll tell you is, um, you know, have a have a clear idea of what you want to find during the day. It would be easy to blow all of your cash really quick, um, but you're going to be there for a number of days, and don't be afraid to sort of take it slow. And then the last thing that I would tell you is think very carefully about what you want to bring because you're going to be on your feet basically for however many days you're there, and it's really a pain to carry around a ton of stuff. I had a backpack that was probably 30 pounds. Um, and I'm, I'm a pretty big guy and capable, capable of carrying that around, but it still got tiring after, after, you know, a couple of days. So think carefully about what you want to bring. All right. I appreciate all the advice I can get. 
Um, so for you guys at home, we mentioned PSA's um, CEO, Joe Orlando, earlier in the episode. And something that he said, I want to kind of go over it again for you real quick. He said, like most other industries, ours contains a fraction of people who choose to do nothing more than complain about how third-party grading systems are imperfect instead of offering feasible or logical ways of making it better. Well, we gave our best effort to offer some practical solutions. I believe in the power of purposeful dialogue. If you think Joe should hear our conversation today, um, I ask that you go on Instagram and let him know. And his handle is at Joe Orlando PSA. That's at Joe Orlando PSA. Um, I'll make sure to create a post for this episode on my Instagram, which is at Wax Museum Podcast. If you'd like, I'll make it easy for you. You can just tag or mention his handle there as well. It's at Joe Orlando PSA. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or Google Play. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast.